I'm going to talk to you about two words that are found in your in the text here. No condemnation. It's the best result of salvation. I want to give you a little story, a Bible uh, event. Jesus <clears throat> is sitting in a house teaching, um, uh, teaching the Bible and teaching about the kingdom of God. And somebody breaks open the roof and drops a man down right in front of Jesus because they couldn't get in. And uh, they drop him right in front of Jesus because he's crippled. He's got he's got palsy. He's he's completely contorted and he can't he's never never been able to walk. Um, and um, they were hoping that Jesus would heal him. And Jesus looks at the man and everybody expects him to say, rise up and walk. But Jesus doesn't say that. Does anybody know what Jesus said? Your sins are forgiven you. Now, that freaked out a lot of people. It says, who can forgive sin but God? Hello? Jesus is God. And they begin to argue with him. He says, how can you do that? And he said, well, which is harder, to make a man who's palsied, to be able to stand up and be perfectly whole, or to forgive sins? They're both impossible. So he says to the man, go ahead and stand up and rise up, take up your bed and walk. And he stands up. And what was Jesus showing? Now, we all want Jesus to fix our problems. But you know the best result of Jesus coming? Taking care of our sin debt. Being able to hear the words, no condemnation. Where he says to the man, thy sins are forgiven thee, is actually much more important and a greater gift than, hey, get up and walk. So let's go to Romans. I want to talk, as we get into chapter 8 of the book of Romans, I want you to start back in chapter 4. I want to show you that from chapter 4 on, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, has shown some of the greatest truths ever written. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. Romans chapter 4, just a couple of scriptures. We'll look at, at a couple here in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Speaking of Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God. Now, again, he's, uh, um, he's 75 years old when God says, you're going to have children numbering the stars of the sky. You're going to be a daddy. And he staggered not. And God constantly reminded him of that. And it was hard for him to believe, but he believed. It says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, just saying God can do it. Verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. You need that kind of faith. You need the faith that says, well, if God promises it, I'm going to be fully persuaded he'll do it. Verse 22, and therefore it was imputed to him. Imputed means transferred to him for righteousness. Now, Abraham's just as much a sinner as you and I. But God imputed or put onto his record righteous because of faith. Chapter 5 and verse 1. These are great truths. Therefore, being justified by what? There's that word. Faith changes our our address from what we're going to see, condemned to justified, pardoned, forgiven, justified by faith. We actually have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to have peace in this world. I'd like to have peace at work. I'd like to have peace at home. But you know where you need peace? Between you and God. So these are some of the greatest uh, truths ever written. Look at chapter 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's just, who did Jesus die for? Good people? No, he died for the ungodly. Look at verse 8. But God commendeth, he extends, he pours out his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jump down to verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense, that the sin might abound. But where sin abounded in this wonderful, grace did much more abound. So as much sin as I got, God's got more kindness towards me. Amen. You ever had anybody push your button and just aggravate you and push you to where you just wanted to punch them? Well, that's us toward God, and God doesn't. He still extends grace. He still is kind. He's consistently kind to us when he shouldn't be. Look in chapter 6 and verse 14. Chapter 6, I'm showing you just some bright spots here. And, and they're all bright, but I just want to show you a couple of things that we've focused on over the last few months. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Isn't that wonderful? 
For you're not under the law, but under grace now. There is something wonderful about being saved. Sin doesn't control my life anymore. Look in verse 18. <clears throat> being then made free from sin, we've been changed, haven't we? He became the servants of righteousness. I used to serve sin. I used to do whatever the devil wanted me to do or whatever my flesh wanted to do. Now I serve righteousness. Look at verse 23. You know this verse. For the wages of sin is death. Ah, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So far, so good. Four, five, and six, full of wonderful promises and truths, some of them ever written. Then came chapter seven. <laughs> and Paul explores just how depraved and ruined the flesh is. Look at verse 24, 724. The Bible says, O wretched man that I am. You know, and I, there, I, I'm going to say this in the message. There are three parts of me. There's a body, soul, and spirit, and there's a part of me that is just, just wretched. And that's who you're looking at. That's the outer me. The one I try to lie about. The one I try to fake. The one I try to act like I'm so spiritual. That's my flesh. And that's wretched because that's not who I really am. What I really am is my soul on the inside. And there are plenty of you here this morning. You're in here. You're smiling. You had a cup of tea. You're talking. But inside, you're dying. Inside, you're discouraged or depressed or you're struggling with, with uh, stuff you watched last night. That's the real you. In chapter 7 says, by ourselves, we're wretched. We're, we're messed up. But that's okay because as a believer, look what verse 25 says. Uh, uh, verse 24, yeah, verse 25. I thank God through, how am I delivered? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So everything that's wrong with my flesh has been taken care of by Jesus Christ. That's how chapter 7 ends, and that's a good thing because chapter 7 is kind of dark and rough. And then in chapter 8 comes the best promises and truths probably ever written throughout your entire Bible. I love Psalms. I love the promises in Isaiah. I love the promises throughout the Bible. But Romans chapter 8 is like finding a treasure chest and opening up. And it's like, <gasps> look at the wealth there right in my grasp. And the Paul and the Apostle Paul uh, begins to make a grand conclusion, summarizing everything that he's just talked about in Romans chapter four, five, six, and seven. And I hope you get some of it. We're, we're, we're going to spend probably the next six weeks going through Romans chapter eight. So let me pray one more time so we just get right in, in the focus. Father, I do pray that you'd help me to be a help to these people here. It is easy to put on a show. It's easy to act and perform. It's hard to be real, but you know us. And that's why you came into this world. And amongst people who put on a show with religion and people who are messed up with sin, they all saw you. And yeah, they rejected you. But in that crucifixion, there was forgiveness and there was a pardon. There was life-transforming power, especially as you rose from the grave. And this morning, I pray, God, we would enjoy what you did for us that changes us still to this day and frees us. Lord, if there's anybody who's not saved, I pray again, please help them to trust Jesus Christ, not their church, not their priest or their pastor, but your son. And I pray that you encourage every believer here this morning, just whet our appetite, our, give us a hunger for the things of the Spirit of God now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start off here right off the bat in chapter 8 and verse 1. It says this, there is therefore now, next two words, say them with me, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That is an absolute statement. I mean, if somebody just says there is no water, <laughs> In, in, the, in the pipes, that means there's no water, right? And when somebody says there's no petrol in the tank, that means there's no petrol. And when there's no condemnation against us, that means it's gone. This is not a hopeful wish of somebody who's religious. It is a present and an eternal fact. No condemnation. Now, condemnation is a very serious word. It's a word used in a court of law referring to the conclusion of a judge. When he declares that somebody's not only guilty, but they deserve punishment. And that that punishment must match their crime. The official definition is 
Condemnation is the judicial act of declaring someone guilty and dooming them to punishment. Uh, go to Romans chapter 5. I'll show you where this all started. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. Really? Who brought sin into the world? We always want to blame the devil, but it wasn't. I mean, the devil came in, but it wasn't the devil that he couldn't bring sin into the world. It had to be invited. And who did it? Adam. Uh, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and what followed uh, sin was death. Jesus, uh, God said to Adam, the day that you eat thereof, ye shall surely what? Adam never died. Adam never seen anything die. This was a new thought to him. And God warned him and says, when you sin, it will kill you. And death by sin. Uh, and so death has now passed upon how many of us? All of us. Every one of us are looking forward to hospital beds and then a grave because Adam uh, has passed upon all men for that all of us have sin look at verse 18 still in romans chapter 5 verse 18 therefore as by the offense of one the offense being the sin of adam judgment came unto all men to what here's our word all right condemnation has been passed upon all of us even so aren't you glad there's a second half to the story even so by the righteousness of one so sin brought condemnation to all of us but by the righteousness of one person, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Who brought in righteousness? Jesus Christ. Adam blew it and ruined it for us. Jesus fixes it. All our sins that we've done, you say, I'm not that bad of a sinner. I, I hope not. But the measure of your sins and the quantity of your sins don't matter. They all earn condemnation. Now, I would say Hitler deserves a little more condemnation than maybe you do. But we're all under the condemnation of God. And that's what's missing for most people. Go to Matthew 23 for most people's understanding. Matthew chapter 23. And Jesus is speaking to some of the best people you'd ever meet. If you ever met them on the street, they'd be the best people. They'd be the most religious, the most... Um, uh, careful i mean they never they never uh heard a flea so to speak matthew chapter 23 in verse 33 jesus says this to the pharisees he says this ye serpents <laughs> now that had to hurt he's talking to the archbishop okay is what he's equivalent of he just goes right up and he says ye serpents ye generation of vipers how shall ye escape the damnation of hell. Wow. So learn one thing. If you don't get anything else from my message this morning, from the word of God, I want you to understand this. No matter how good you are, no matter how religious you are, you will not escape the damnation of hell. Your religion cannot save you. Does that make sense? Jesus talked to the most religious people, the Pharisees, ever. They were better than any one of us put together. And yet he said, you're headed for hell and you're under the damnation of hell. Why? Because they were still sinners. John chapter 3, you're in Matthew, go to John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3, verse 16, you know that verse, but I want to read down to verse 20. John 3, 16. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not, here's a negative word, perish, but have everlasting life, verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Now, don't stop there and think, oh, okay, good. <sighs> I won't get in trouble with God. No. Why would he send Jesus in to condemn the world when we're already condemned? Do you understand? See, Jesus didn't come in to condemn us. We already were condemned. He came in to save us. Read it again. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Can you imagine? <laughs> Here comes a ship. And there's a man, his little dinghy has tipped over and he's drowning. And the ship comes by and the guy who's drowning looks up and says, help. And so they throw more water on him. All right. <laughs> I'm just going to drown you more. Jesus didn't come in to condemn us. He came alongside us to pull us in. You see what Jesus did? We're already in trouble. 
So let's keep going. Verse uh, 18. He that believeth on him, that's on Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not, you say, what sends a man to hell? Unbelief. You know why people may die of some disease? Because they won't get the cure. Their disease is killing them. And they say, I don't want that cure. I don't want that treatment. Well, that's your choice. But you'll, you'll die early because you rejected the cure. And a lot of people will die and go to hell because they rejected Jesus Christ, not because they did some awful sin. Keep going. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. See the negative word? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is our trouble. That light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than that light. Isn't that true? What's it like going in the disco? Lights are off, aren't they? Blinking lights and flashing lights, but it's dark. What's it like going into a pub? Usually it's dark when it's just a pub. If, they, if it's family time, then they turn on lights. But normally men go in there in order for their deeds because their deeds are evil. Verse 20, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. They don't want the light on. That's why I don't want a church where everything's dark up at the front. You ever been in a church where they turn off the lights in the church? And the people in the church are like a, like a performance? I'm just getting off my subject here, but I want you to understand. Churches need to be full of light, amen? Because even in churches, people love darkness. They want to turn the lights off. Not here, man. Men love darkness rather than the light, so we're not going to feed that. Verse 20, for everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, let his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, comes to Christ, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Look at verse 36. John chapter 3. Condemnation is a very serious word. 336. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the Look at that word now. The wrath of God abideth on him, is resting on him. Um, it, it, uh, the words of Jesus Christ are serious words that we're in trouble with God. And, and um, uh, I thought I'd pull all this. Um, well, I'll hold on here. The, the, the condemnation that Paul is referring to and that Jesus is referring to is eternal punishment of hell. He's not talking about just trouble in this life. You have a soul that will never die, and you decide on whether it is experiencing eternal joy with him in heaven or eternal agony and suffering in hell, which is what Jesus came to save us from. If Jesus only came to save you out of your present financial trouble, he's a false idol. He's a genie. But if he came to save you from the punishment of your sin, he's a savior. Amen. All right. So this is an absolute statement, no condemnation, no longer under the judgment, the condemnation, the wrath of Almighty God. Yet hear these words, full pardon, no condemnation at all. Uh, Jesus, when, 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 when Jesus spoke, look in chapter 5 and verse 24, 524, still in the Gospel of John. Verily, verily. Now, that's just an old way of saying, listen to me carefully. <laughs> I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. I'm not doing something new. I'm doing what God wants. Believe on him that sent me hath what kind of life? That's forever. Half everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. Amen. But is passed from death unto life. Rome, uh, I already read uh, Romans chapter 5. Uh, go ahead and go there. Romans chapter 5. Now we'll go back to Romans chapter 8 in a minute, but I just got to show you how important this word is, condemnation, and the fact that it says no condemnation. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're no longer at war anymore. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access to God by faith into this grace, this kindness, wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 18. 
Romans 6, 18, we already read this, I know, but I just want to remind you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. If there's no condemnation for me, for all of my sin, what am I doing with that freedom? I'm doing the right thing now. You know, many a man's been given the second chance and they never did anything with it, did they? They just went back to the old sin. A Christian doesn't do that. I mean, honestly, when you got saved, you've got a whole new life to live and you've got every reason to live for God and live for right. So this thing uh, is we've been given eternal life. Go to 2 Corinthians. You're in Romans. Go to the right. Find 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Now, there's a lot of he's and him's in there, but you understand by the context. For he hath made him to be sin for us. The he is God. Made Jesus sin. Now, he didn't make him a sinner, but he made him sin in my place for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So I'm the sinner. And Jesus came along and says, I'm Craig Ledbetter. Now, Jesus, why would he do that? Love. And so God took all of my sin, put it on Jesus Christ. And then he said, Craig, I'm going to give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you are now forgiven. That's why we call it good news. I mean, you, you and I don't appreciate good news until you got cancer. And then the doctor gives these words to you and he says or she says it's in remission. Then you appreciate something being taken away from you. You won't appreciate it till you're in trouble with the law and the guard will pull you over for speeding. And then they say, I go on your way. And he lets you off. And now that doesn't happen anymore. I haven't seen that happen to anybody. But when the guard just says, ah, it's OK. I won't give you a ticket this time. Now you appreciate forgiveness, don't you? And until you realize how much in trouble you are with God, the condemnation of God, the wrath of God that's on you, you'll never appreciate the gospel and the good news of no condemnation. Quick summary. The progressive removal of sin and death from this universe began when Jesus freed us from sin's penalty. What is sin's penalty? Hell. The wages of sin is death. And he got punished instead of us. Now, that was done in the past. That was done 2,000 years ago. And let me say this. Can you, can you burn this into your brain? No sin we do now can condemn us to a devil's hell if you're saved. Nod your head. There is no sin. If there's no condemnation now, no sin that happens in your life. You say, do you believe that? Yes, I believe that because I believe the Bible. Because Christ is my righteousness, not me. I got people, I deal with people all the time who say, well, I got born again, but now if I sin, I can lose it. Really? What saved you? Jesus Christ. Well, who's keeping you? Jesus Christ. So if I blow it, and believe me, we all do. Somebody once said it. If you could lose your salvation, you already have. Okay? Just take a step back and realize what Jesus did took away my eternal punishment forever. I cannot go to hell. That's called once saved, always saved. And people don't like that, but I'm here to tell you, I love it. <laughs> I'm so glad it's absolute and it's permanent. God doesn't abort his children. Amen. Hallelujah. If you could lose it, you already have. You've already done it. You've already done something dumb enough. Because you think that you have to keep your salvation. No, Jesus saves and keeps. Sin does hurt our closeness to God. That's obvious, just like it hurts your closeness with your wife or your kids. But it doesn't break that relationship. Secondly, so Jesus freed us from sin's penalty. Secondly, the Holy Spirit in us is our freedom from sin's power. Now, I'm only going to touch on that today. We'll end with that thought, and then we'll jump at it when we get it into next week. And that's in the present. The Holy Spirit in my life is my key. My will is not. My choices are not. My yielding is what allows the Holy Spirit to give me victory over. If I walk in the Spirit, if I follow the Holy Spirit, if I do what the Holy Spirit says do or whatever, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then the third truth. That's so it's past, present, and what about the future? 
One day we will be free from the very presence of sin. So I'm free from the punishment. I am enabled to live free from sin's power. But one day I will be free from the very presence of sin. I won't be tempted anymore and I won't sin anymore in heaven. Amen. So if you only want things and money and happiness from Jesus now, when what he offers you is a pardon, then you will end up in hell. And you're missing the best part of the Christian life because the best thing Christ gave you was a full pardon for all your sin. You start there and then all the other gifts are cream on the top. Amen. All right. So who does this apply to? Romans 8, 1. Now we go back to Romans, all right? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now just stop there. It says, to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So this pardon applies to anyone who's in Christ Jesus. You ever heard that phrase before? It's applied to sinful people, not because they're no longer sinning, but because they are believers in what Jesus did. Now, this is very important. Um, uh, we have entered into what's, what, what has been called a living union between the soul of a sinner and the soul of God. I, Jesus Christ has brought me into a relationship where he considers me in him and him in me. It's absolutely breathtaking. I've moved a dress. Spiritually speaking, I've moved from being just in this world and in the flesh and in sin to where I'm in Christ. And I'm uh, there's no condemnation here. There is there is just the Holy Spirit there calling me to just follow Jesus. It is a different Christian. It is a different life. Go to Second Corinthians. Hold your place. We'll come back to Romans. But Second Corinthians to the right. Chapter 5 and verse 17. This is throughout your New Testament where he uses this phrase, in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Now I'm going to read it like a lot of people think it says. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in church. Isn't that what most people think? Well, I go to church. That's all they think they got to do. Well, I've been baptized. So you got to be in water. No, no. Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, that's when he became a new creature. Old things are passed away now. Behold, all things are become new. I'll show you another one. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Go back. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 21. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. I'll give you some examples. So, uh, Charity, you're here, right? I saw you come in. Where are you, Charity? Did I see Charity or no? I just roughly went back there. Okay. thought I saw Charity. Oh, you are there. Okay. All right. So, Charity, there's somebody in you, isn't there? All right. We're trying to get him out. Or get her out, right? <laughs> Praying for you. But we understand this concept of somebody being in somebody else. Well, let me show you this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 21. For since by man came death, by man, another man, came also the resurrection from the dead. So who are the two men? First one's Adam. The second man is Jesus. Verse 22. For as in who? Say with me. In Adam, all die. All right. So when Adam was walking on this earth and he sinned, it affected all of his descendants. We were in Adam, weren't we? But then there was a day 43 years ago where I jumped ship. And I changed where I lived. I'm now in Christ. Look at what else it says. I keep reading there. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so now in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. Uh, uh, in Christ Jesus. I have a lot of scriptures, but I got to take time. In Christ Jesus is how God sees the person who trusts Jesus Christ. He sees me in Jesus. Let me give two examples. If you go to the airport and you're waving goodbye to somebody who's getting on an airplane, you may be able to see them at the window. You ever done that? And you wave at them and they got this little bitty head and they're waving at you. And then they go down the runway and you see them take off. And that friend of yours, that family members, whatever, in that airplane, here's the truth. As that airplane ascends, that friend of yours is ascending too, isn't he? And if that plane bends and, and swerves, 
that person in that plane is swerving as it ends up 15,000 kilometers away in Sydney, Australia. That plane takes them there. They arrive at Sydney. In that plane, everything that happens to the plane happens to them. If you're in Christ, everything that Christ went through happened to you. If you believe on Jesus Christ, God takes you, all your past, all your future, takes all you are and puts you into Jesus Christ. And everything that Jesus Christ did is applied to you. I'll give you another example. You got a, you got a wealthy dad. He has worked all his life, saved his money, got a good reputation, a good name, got a big business, and then he dies. And he puts you in the will. All of a sudden, you inherit that, that wealth and that business because you're in the family, like the godfather, you know? You're in the family. The only reason why he puts you in, because you're the family. And when a person gets born again into the family of God, Everything that Jesus earned, I get. His death was my death. His, his burial, his resurrection is my resurrection. He being seated at the right hand of the Father, he's already made sure I am seated there with him as well. Everything that he's done is applied to me now. Um, back to Romans chapter 8. To them which are in Christ Jesus. When God looks at me, you know, he, 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 sees, he sees Jesus Christ as the lens through which he sees my life. <laughs> you ever heard somebody say, oh, you're looking through rose-colored glasses. Now, that's a very old term. <laughs> it goes back to the 1800s where they were just coming up with uh, these different ways of having entertainment with Nickelodeons and all this stuff. But you're seeing the world as if it's really nice and stuff like this, rose-colored glasses. But when God sees me, he sees me through the perfection of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see my sin anymore. And somebody can say hallelujah. So he comes, and this is who it's applied to. Uh, Romans 8.1 describes this, uh, the Christian life as a spiritual life. Look at chapter 8 and verse 1. says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are, you ought to be in church, amen. You ought to be in your home, in your family, but that won't save you. Being in Jesus Christ takes away your, your, your judgment that God has, and you now walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So that describes the Christian life now. It's a way of life, and I'll define this maybe a little bit in, in just a few minutes here. When it says we, we, we walk not after the flesh, when you were a kid, did you ever chase a butterfly? When I was a kid, I didn't care about butterflies, but I cared about lightning bugs. Now, I've never seen a lightning bug here in Ireland, but their rear ends glow, okay? And they're just fascinating. You collect them, you put them in a jar, and then you take them inside your room, you turn the light off, and there they are blinking, man. It's really cool. But I would go pursuing after those lightning bugs, and they're very hard to catch because you don't see them when their rear is off. So... You're kind of waiting for them to appear, and then you're trying to grab it and trying to put it in the jar. Well, what are you pursuing after? It says, if you're a Christian, you're pursuing after spiritual things now. That's how you know you're saved. If you still want and you still live for Friday night at the disco, I have to say, you're probably not saved. Amen. If, if you, well, I go to church, it doesn't matter if you live at church. That doesn't get you to heaven. If you are pursuing the flesh, if you're pursuing the things of the flesh, you probably aren't saved. But if you're pursuing the things of the spirit, that's the Christian life. And we we got to start waking up to the fact, what am I after? I want to be after a spiritual life. Now, verse 2, we'll come back to that thought in a minute. But verse 2 goes on and says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me from the law of sin and death when I was just only in my flesh. There was a governing law, there was like a scientific law that said that sin was going to kill me. But you know what? I've stepped out of that thing and my flesh is going to die and let it die. I don't care if I died today. Guess to be absent from the body, where will I be? Present with the Lord, Paul says. So let it die, man. But in the spirit is life. And I'm free from all the condemnation that was against me. I live free. 
we are free from the law's condemnation. Now, this was unheard of. When Paul says this, we are now free from the condemnation of, of, of the law that was against sin and brought death. Nobody could believe that. I mean, I've dealt with many Catholics who, when I show them, you can be saved right now. Oh, that's not possible. <laughs> I, I still sin. I know, I know. But you can be forgiven past, present, future. And that's hard for them to understand. But uh, in, in Paul's day, this was unheard of. Because no one escapes the exactness of the law of God. Everyone who's ever been born other than Jesus Christ has failed to keep the law. Isn't that true? There's none righteous, no, not one. So the, the purpose of the laws of God, all of them, all 613 of them, show me just how sinful I am. Not just the 10, but all of them. Shows me I'm selfish, lying, lustful, rebellious, deceitful, hurtful, hateful. I'm just plain evil. That's who I am. And the law shows you and I have evil in us. We looked at it in Romans chapter 7. Every one of us. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, Paul says, sold under sin. My flesh is. For the good that I would, I do not. The evil which I would that I do. That's my flesh. That's its desire is to rebel against God constantly. Verse 21 says, I find a law that when I do good, evil is always present with me. That is me. Without a miracle, I'm doomed because my flesh made me who I was. I need a miracle where somebody else remakes me, makes me a new creature. Guess who that is? Jesus Christ. Um, uh, mm. Go back, you're in Romans 8, uh, go to chapter, chapter 7, verse 24. I want to show you something that he says here. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. I'm sorry, I got to read verse 24 first. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So when he looks at his body, and I'm, I'm, I'm having an out-of-body experience up here on the podium, so don't freak out. But there's a part of me called the flesh. There's a part of me called the soul. And there's a part of me now called the spirit where the Holy Spirit dwells. And he says this flesh, he says it's wretched and it's called a body of death. It's a death trap. Um, uh, it's, it's like every time I, I, I every time I give in to my desire to watch something on television that is wrong. Or I look on my phone and I start looking at pictures and images and videos that are wrong. Every time I give into that lust and that desire, it's like a trap that's going to kill me. And it will. He says, who's going to deliver me from this death trap of my old life? And he says, uh, look in verse 18. I know that in me that is in my flesh, that's that one part of me, dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good in me. For the will is present with me. Oh, I want to do right. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Don't you think that, well, I'll just put down the cigarettes. Well, I'll just stop sinning. You can try all you want. You'll pick up a new sin every other day. That's just you. So God wants to make a new you, amen? And it's him in you. So uh, the point is, the laws of God show you what you really are like. And you're a mess. And the best kind of church to be in is one that reminds you who you really are. Amen. Started trying to make you feel good and make you feel like you're not that bad. And, oh, it was just mistakes. No, they're sins. By the way, if you die, guess what your body ends up as? Worm food. So don't tell me how good your, your looks are, how tall you are, and how wealthy you are. It all goes down the toilet. So the truth is that a sinner the worst of us can be free from eternal damnation. That's how come we call it good news. As messed up as I am, I can be free. So how does God make me free from sin's condemnation back in chapter 8? Verse 2, we'll read it again. For the law of the spirit of life. This is a new law. In Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, Jesus didn't have sinfulness, but he had the likeness of it. And he came for sin. He actually condemned sin in 
the flesh. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Wait a minute. When he lived righteous and holy, he gave that perfect life to me. He gave me that record. Uh, he gave me all of his goodness and his kindness and his grace. Where I'm, I'm, I'm miserable. I'm, I'm mean. I'm grumpy. <laughs> and all the record is people say, well, I know Craig. But Jesus Christ has applied his righteousness and covered all my sin. And he took the punishment for all of my sin. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh anymore, but after the spirit. So a new law was revealed. It's not a new commandment, but a new absolute truth, like a scientific law. It's called the law, the, the law of the spirit of life. And it's found in Jesus Christ. It makes a person free from the rule and the dominion of, of sin and death. And we call it the new birth for a reason, because I was born that way. I mean, there are people who sing that stupid song, you know, born this way and all this stuff. You're, you're born a sinner. You're born the way you are, and it's never good. Amen? You must be born again, Jesus said. And when you get born again, only then are you freed from sin's power and condemnation. And a new law, uh, um, I already said this, Jesus kept the laws for us. But this new law started when Jesus swapped his life for ours. Um, you know, at Matthew 121, we read it at Christmas. It says, she, Mary, shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why they call him Jesus? For he shall save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. Not so that you could get a present under the Christmas tree, but to save you from your sins. So Jesus kept all God's laws for us and became our Savior. That's why we call him Savior. Um, and uh, every believer now is seen by God through the lens of God's Son. Uh, he sees the old Craig Ledbetter. He sees my past, my sin, my failures is all dead and gone. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, honestly, let's pretend here's, here's, here's somebody who's married to an cantankerous, mean, grumpy. I'm not going to say husband. I'm going to say wife this time. <laughs> and you're married to a mean, grumpy, agitated old woman. And um, she's just mean, cantankerous, all right? And then she dies and they have a funeral. It's terrible. Everybody crying. <laughs> And all of a sudden, she gets up out of the grave. <laughs> now, I'm giving you a far-fetched illustration to show you what happens. How would you treat her now? You, you, you just be like, that old person is dead. This is a new. This person's come back. When Jesus came out of that grave, he shows he can do it with you now. And he's giving you a whole new life. So you'd start over with this person who just got up out of the coffin. Now, it doesn't happen, but I'm giving you an illustration saying, how would you treat that person? You wouldn't bring up all the past. All the past is gone, isn't it, if they died? As a matter of fact, the moment they die, they, they, they serve a death certificate. They had to confirm the person's dead. And then all debts, all records are expunged. You can't bring up a court case against a dead man, can you? But what if that dead man came back alive? You can't then, oh, well, let's go bring this case. No, no, death severed it. And when... When Jesus Christ died and I believed on him, God said, eh, we'll put his old past death under the death of Christ. Now it's gone. Isn't that wonderful? Everybody, uh, when, when God sees me, he sees the old me as dead and gone. And he sees me hiding in Christ, who's my substitute. When Jesus died as a sinner, God saw it like me dying as a sinner. When Jesus rose again from the dead, God saw me as if I got up with a whole new life. When Jesus walked in the spirit, God sees me now living in the spirit. I don't live in the spirit very often. I try. You know, when God looks at me, he says, he's in the spirit. <laughs> Not much, but he's in the spirit. <laughs> God has that way because of Jesus Christ. If there's one person you ought to shout, pray, sing about, it's Jesus Christ. We ought to be so fanatical. I mean, a lot of people are political. They're all wrapped up in the economy and all the things going on. I'm wrapped up in the life of Jesus Christ given for me. What a wonderful way to be seen, as if I'd never sinned. 
And God looks at me, it's as if I never sinned, even though I do. So now one last thing I got to say here. Every believer is no longer stuck in their body. Like I said, you got that flesh. You got that, that, that old nature that just loves to sin. But I'm not in that. I'm not stuck in that thing anymore. I've been cut free. And I got to show you this. Uh, take your Bible. Go to Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 2. Remember, there are three parts of us. The outer me, that's my flesh, that's my body. The inner me, that's my soul, that's the real me. This hand has no desire of its own, okay? It is, a, it, it is an extension of, of what my soul wants, all right? I grab something, I'll put it in my mouth, but, it's, but, my, but my body wants to do things that are wrong. And it, it, uh, that's the inner me, but then there's the new me, which is a Christian, is in my spirit where Christ lives. So that's where we begin, and there's something that happened when a person trusts what Jesus did on the cross. My, my marriage relationship to my flesh has been broken. We did done this back in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. That, that connection that I had with my flesh uh, has been broken, so now I can break away from it, and my soul now is married to Jesus Christ in my spirit. Now, that all sounds freaky, but Paul's trying to give us an understanding of what went on invisibly in our inner man. Look at your Bible. Go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. Colossians 2.10. And ye are complete in him, in Christ. There's that in phrase. You're, you're complete. You don't, you don't lack anything in Christ which is the head of all principality and power. Nobody's above Jesus, verse 11, in whom also ye are circumcised, not with hands, but with the circumcision made without hands. Wait a minute, when was I circumcised? Ha, ha, ha. That Old Testament picture, of, of that event of circumcising a child at eight days old was a picture, an illustration of the separation of me from my flesh so that I can live unto God. Watch what he says. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Now I can, it's kind of like a like an old clothes. I can, I can dump them. Put off the body of the sins of death by the circumcision of Christ, verse 12, buried with him in baptism, not water baptism, but being put in Christ, as we learn, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Every time I've ever had to go and do have surgery, and it's only been a few times, I've had to trust the doctor <laughs> to know what he's doing. And when I got saved, I had to trust the operator, the surgeon, the great physician who could cut away this, this bondage that I was into my flesh so I could now live in the spirit. So, uh, so my body can now scream and demand and pull away, me away from God, and I'm free from its dominion. It still screams like a brat. It still wants to be constantly catered to and coddled. But I live in the spirit now. So I got to ask this, and I'll try to finish. I'll just go through this. We'll pick up this next week. What are you after? Hmm. Uh, I won't use I, I have an illustration. Um, here's one. Maybe it won't connect it. You're, you're, uh, I better not, because somebody's going to connect it to what I shouldn't. Anyway, Romans chapter eight. Uh, my, my kids always tell me, don't use me in your illustration. So I won't. Anyway, Romans chapter eight, verse five. It's a good illustration, but I can't use it anyway. <laughs> Romans chapter eight and verse five says this. For they that are after, circle that word after the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I'm just going to introduce this and I'll stop. My old life is described this way. Number one, as minding or pursuing the things of the flesh. You ever seen somebody who's OCD? Or all they're thinking about is something, maybe their past or some problem or something they want to do or whatever. And they're just, they, they can't stop thinking about it. All right. Well, the Bible says there, it says, 
they that are after the flesh, their problem is they're thinking about it. You know, the last thing you need to do if you're struggling with cigarettes is thinking about putting them down. The more you think about those cigarettes, the harder it's going to be to put them down because it's in your mind. I tell people all the time, they, I've got a reoccurring dream. Stop thinking about it because your mind says, oh, that was cool. We got a lot of dopamine every time we bring it up. And so your mind keeps bringing it up. When you're minding that, when you're thinking on that, it just keeps it coming, keeps it coming up. It's, it's a great revelation here. It says when you're after the flesh, you're minding and you're intent on obeying whatever the flesh says. Uh, paying attention to what my flesh wants, that's my old life. Doing whatever my flesh wants to do. <laughs> Some of you struggle with that this morning when you decided your flesh said stay in bed. <laughs> you said, no, I'm going to church. All right, that's the old life talking. And, and, and you live giving in constantly to a spoiled brat. And I'm telling you, that is not how a Christian should live, even though some of them do. So uh, the new life of the Christian is described as minding or pursuing the things of the Spirit of God. That's how. Say, how, how do I know I'm saved? You're interested in spiritual things. You're interested in, in, in being around Christians. You don't. You don't care that they're a bunch of sinners. I give my illustration all the time. When I got saved, you couldn't convince me that anybody in my church sinned. I thought they were all sinless. Now I came to find out they weren't. But I thought church on Sunday was heaven. Literally, nobody, when I got saved, Hilltop Baptist Church, nobody there was a sinner. They were all spotless, sin, sinless people. That was what I thought, okay? And if somebody says, oh, so-and-so, they were down, I go, oh, no. Because I saw every one of them as, man, they're, they're all saved. I couldn't get over it. What, uh, what, what is it that, that I, wanted, I wanted to be around them? I saw them as loving God, and they were. I saw them as praising God. And I come to find out that they were messed up just like I was, but they were spiritual. And I love being around them, and guess what? I still do. You say, oh, brother, I better you be ashamed to be around me. No. If Jesus loves you, I do too. Amen. And Jesus actually commands me to love the brethren, no matter how messed up they are, no matter where they are. That doesn't mean coddle them. That doesn't mean, you know, let them get away with sin, but I love them. So my new life is described as pursuing the things of the Spirit of God, living in the Spirit instead of in my flesh. Pursuing the things of the Holy Spirit and the thing instead of things of my own spirit. You know what? The way you know you're saved is if you are pursuing holiness. If you are pursuing the will of God. You know what David says? He says, I delight to do thy will. When you have a desire to say, God, what do you want me to do? That's proof you're saved. Uh, close. You want to have a closeness to God. You feel you're more ashamed, not about sin, but about the fact that sin has come between you and God. That's what, that's what proof that there's something there that's spiritual. And then transformation and change. I have tons of scriptures. We just don't have time. You know, your willpower and, and your effort won't change you like the Holy Spirit of God will. And that's the new life of the Christian. So I got to stop with this. And uh, uh, we'll come back in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. He says this. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because a carnal mind is enmity, is warfare, conflict against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Why would I live over here when I'll never please God living in this mindset? Why would I do that? I know people who do. I know people who we call them backslide, which is kind of a stupid term. I know people who, who mess with sin, get trapped in sin, and they get stuck in that life. You know what that leads to? Everything. And I also know Christians who don't go into sin, but they get away from God, and they get away from the Bible. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They don't go to church. And they just stay busy at work, and they do their garden, and they make their money, and they do their hobbies. They're in the flesh, and they can never please God. And the Bible says everything the flesh does, even when we think it's good, leads to death. It'll kill us. 
So why would I do that? So I'm just going to breeze through here and come back to it next week. The key to the Christian life is the Spirit of God in you. That's the key. Your, 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 your willpower, your won't power, your efforts are all going to fail. But there is a power in you that is that, that raised Jesus from the dead. I think he can pretty well deal with you and me. Amen. So there's a lot of things we're going to talk about. But I'm not going to show you today. All right. <laughs> what best describes your life? What are you after? Do you pursue the things of the world? Fast cars, fast women, fast money. Do you seek your own lusts and desires? No time for the Bible, no time for prayer. I mean, I may be describing you right now. No time for church. No time for Wednesday night Bible study. No time for soul winning. You're so busy, you got no time for family. No time to serve people or love people. Is that you? Is that how you're described? Is that what you really are going after? Or do you pursue the Holy Spirit of God? Do you want? To be full of him. The answer to that question will determine your eternal destiny. Really. So you may remember what it means to be in Christ Jesus. You're not born that way. Nobody's born a Christian. You may have been born a Catholic. You may even be claimed to be born a Baptist. But you must be born again. If you're not, you're in trouble with God. We read it in John chapter 3. He that believeth on the Son. He that believeth not the Son. Sorry, I'm not reading it right. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you're not born again, it's like a hawk flying over your head about to pounce. The wrath of God is right there. And in a moment, you could step off into eternity and you'll be writhing and screaming in hell. And there'll be people crying for you up, in, uh, uh, up at the, your funeral. But you'll be crying out saying, don't join me, don't come. Get saved. Don't come to this awful place. You'd be screaming out like that rich man in Luke chapter 16. Is that how you're going to live? But if you're in Christ Jesus, then you're free. Man, I'm, I, I don't have to worry about hell. You know what I have to worry about? Somebody else going. I'm not trying to live perfect and trying to dot all my I's and cross all my T's and do everything right so that I get to heaven. Not at all. Jesus Christ did all that. I'm in the plane. I'm just trying to get more people in. Amen. Come on. We're going to hot. We're going on holiday, man. We're going to heaven. Come on, get in. That's all I worry about. Are you in Christ Jesus? Or are you just in church? I'm glad you come, but we can't save you. Jesus Christ can. How does a person get into Jesus Christ? God says the only way for a sinner to come into Jesus Christ is by repentance. That's a broken heart. Sorry for your sin. And then faith toward Jesus, towards God through Jesus Christ and say, I trust what Jesus did for me. I didn't pray a fancy prayer. I just cried out and said, God, you, if you can save anybody, please save me. And he did. That moment I knew I was forgiven because I was trusting what the Bible said. How would you like to hear those words? No condemnation. How would you like to be a present reality? Now it can be yours. It's only available to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's only available for those who get into him. Would you stand and bow on your head in prayer? With every head bowed and every eye closed. We cover a lot of material. I know. It's a lot of stuff. Every time we step out of this world and get into the truth, it's like, it's, it's just awesome. There's, these aren't trite sayings. These aren't philosophical sayings. These are eternal truths written for our benefit, written to change our lives, written to give us eternal life and get us to enjoy life now. And if, if everybody head bowed, everybody closed, let me ask you, if you're not born again, wouldn't you like to be? Wouldn't you like not to become, I, man, I want you to be a Baptist, but Baptists won't get you to heaven. Wouldn't you like to be born again? Wouldn't you like to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, that's the only decision you need to make today. Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again, and you believe it. And if you'll ask him to save you, I'm not asking you to join the church, I'm not asking you to do some fancy thing. I'm asking you with all my, with all that I can, would you cry out to Jesus Christ? He's listening. He's at the door knocking, waiting for you to cry out to him. Come in. Come on in. Save me. And dear Christian, would you realize if he saved you, 
man, what a life you can live now. Start living it. Whenever I'm trying to show you and we're getting into it, it ought to whet your appetite and say, I want to live the spiritual life. I want to walk in the spirit. I want to live in the spirit. I want to mind the spirit. Whatever is right and spiritual, I want. So if you just talk to God right now and say, Lord, that's what I want. I pray for it now that I would get this stuff and it would just, it would get a hold of me. I'd be a different person. Let it change me. Father, bless what we've heard today. In Jesus' name, amen.